Today I'm going to tell you a little bit about the scripture that will be used in the sermon. Um, I brought something special with me, but you're going to have to wait to see what it is. I want to tell you more about today's Bible reading. It's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 37 to 39. And it's Jesus talking. Um, he was talking to the people of Jerusalem. Do you know what Jerusalem was and why it was important? Well, Jerusalem was, and it still is, a city. If you've been coming to Sunday school for a while, you might remember that God talked to Abraham and told Abraham that he was going to be the father of a great nation. That nation was the nation of Israel, and the main city in Israel is Jerusalem, and that's where God's temple was located. Well, many people in Jerusalem and Israel didn't believe that Jesus was God's son. The people in charge of the church, the religious leaders, they were kind of jealous of Jesus. And Jesus was really popular with the people. Everybody seemed to like him, whether they believed he was God's son or not. So the leaders decided that Jesus should be killed. Now that wasn't a surprise to Jesus. It's really why he came to earth in the first place. But he was upset because he knew that God's people, all these descendants of Abraham, would not believe he was God's son, and they were rejecting him and God his father. And this is what he said. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets and throw stones in order to kill those who are sent to you. Many times I have wanted to gather your people together. I have wanted to be like a hen who gathers her chicks under her wings, and you would not let me. Jesus said he wanted to be like a hen. Well, that's what I brought with me today. This is my hen. I named her Tilly. And um, Jesus said he wanted to be like a hen because of the way the hen takes care of her baby chicks. Here are just a few of Tilly's baby chicks. When chicks are little, the hen has to take care of them. Other animals might want to eat them. They're not supposed to get soaking wet when it rains, and they can't get, be allowed to get too cold. So when danger comes, the hen clucks at her chicks, and they come running, and she hides them under her feathers or under her wings. And this way, they stay warm and dry and protected. But you know what? Sometimes a chick doesn't come when it's called. Um, and the hen can't make it come. Maybe there was a time you didn't come when your mom or dad or grandma called you. The hen can't go around, running around, individually collecting each baby chick. And the chick that doesn't come, well, you can just imagine what might happen to it. When Jesus said, I wanted to be like a hen who gathers her chicks under her wings and you would not let me, to Jerusalem, it shows that he was upset because they had rejected him, because it was really hurting them, because they were left unprotected and could be attacked by Satan. Jesus won't make anyone come to him. He wants us to come to him voluntarily because we want to. He wants us to believe that he is God's son. He wants to gather us close to himself and help us throughout our lives, but he won't force us. It's really up to us. When I was getting ready for today, I read a really sad story about a chicken, and I thought, I can't tell people this, and then I changed my mind. 
See, there had been a forest fire. And when the firefighters had gotten the fire out, they were walking through the forest and they found a lump of something on the ground. They didn't know what it was at first, but then they realized it was a hen who had been killed by the fire. They were really confused because a hen could have flown out of the fire's path. Now, chickens can't fly very far, but this hen could have flown enough to escape the flames. One of the firefighters pushed it to the side, and when he did that, four baby chicks came scurrying out from under their mama hen. You see, the mama could have saved herself, but she didn't. She stayed in that fire to protect her baby chicks who were hiding underneath her. Well, I decided to tell you that story because it reminded me how Jesus died on the cross to save us. He could have saved himself, but he didn't. He loved us too much to do that. And then he rose from the dead. And today, he wants us to believe in him and come to him and stay close to him so that he can keep us safe and protected under the shadow of his wings. Amen. Uh, what a great, great illustration of the passage. You can keep that picture of Henny in, or Tilly, uh, the hen, in your mind as we look at this particular uh, passage in uh, Matthew uh, 23. Um, uh, we're in this uh, journey with Jesus in the last week of his life, looking again at what is essential. And today we're going to learn what is essential in the time of rejection. Because as, as we heard and as we'll see in the passage, it's, uh, there's, this is the, the ultimate time of rejection of God's people to, towards God. And I wonder uh, how you handle rejection. I reflected on that a little bit for my, myself. Um, I can think of two um, extreme ways that I handle uh, um, rejection. One, if people reject me, then I dismiss them. I belittle them. Yep, too bad. They don't get it. They don't know what they're missing. Or uh, or in other ways, it might be in a way of, as I said, of arrogance. It may be in anger. You reject me, so I reject you. Matter of fact, or I rejected you first before you rejected me. Maybe there's other ways that you consider how you res- you deal with rejection. I know one that I've seen particularly um, experienced some in unique relationships, for, particularly if it's a, a relationship with a special person, uh, that when they reject you, maybe you say, oh, I'll change. What do I need to do in order for you to accept me, to not reject me? I can relate to that one, uh, too. But now, this is crunch time with Jesus and uh, his followers. It's a crucial time with, with Jesus and the religious leaders of Israel. Because, uh, as we heard, you know, this is uh, God's people that God has created, that God has chosen, that God has saved, that God has walked through and provided for century upon century, walking with them even as they were denying him or disobeying him. God continued to walk faithfully with them, even in their disobedience. And now God is in the midst of God's people in the flesh as one of them, as one of us. And yet even then, God's people, the leaders of Israel, reject Jesus. They say no to God. How does God 
handle this rejection. As we just heard, Matthew 23, starting with verse 37. Let's pray together. Almighty God, may your written word speak to us, guide us, direct us, transform us, show us your character, and continue to lead us so that we might receive you, accept you, not reject you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Jesus speaking here. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right, so here, here is Jesus, that who we understand and believe to be God in the flesh. You know, so if he's God in the flesh, fully human, fully God, then what Jesus says is what God says. What Jesus does is what God does. And so in this instance of rejection, at this crucial pinnacle of rejection, what does God do at rejection? He laments. He grieves. I mean, the rejection is clear from God's people, and it's not just an isolated incident. I mean, this is a pattern. It's not just Jesus in the flesh, but it is the very nature of God that they are rejecting. Because as he says, you know, you've been rejecting the prophets for centuries. You're rejecting the ones that God has sent, and now here is God in the flesh in the midst of you, and you continue to reject me. Even after such continued provision, centuries of care and protection. I mean, a passage like this where we, we capture the, the affect, the emotion of, of Jesus, of God the Son, is a good correction to the notion of God's anger. I mean, we see in other situations, don't get me wrong, I mean, God responds with wrath and there is anger. We saw it in Jesus, right? One of the first passages we looked at in this series where he went into the temple and turned over the tables because they were the people of God, the insiders had gotten in the way of the outsiders for their own convenience. They had the stuff, they, they had a marketplace there for their own convenience in the very place that the outsiders were supposed to come here and learn about God. And, and that brought Jesus turning the tables over. But, but what we see here is not the anger of God like a spurned lover. Certainly not uh, the anger uh, of uh, someone like me that just, well, I'm going to reject you too if you reject me. Or, or some way, well, certainly not uh, as well. Well, what do I need to do so that you'll accept me? And that's not what God does either. But what God does is God, the rejection that we give to God, he weeps. Because what God desires is for creation to flourish. He desires for you and for me and for all of creation to to have life abundant, Jesus tells us. 
I imagine that many of you here can relate to God lamenting when we reject some element of God's character, His love, His goodness. We, we reject getting underneath the wings of God. As, as a pastor, I've experienced that many times. As a parent, I've experienced that. You see ways that people reject God's wisdom and it leads to destruction. I mean, I have seen direct instances where people rejected God's wisdom and it led to disease. It led to divorce. It led to death. Now, just be sure you're not hearing what I'm not saying. Yeah, I'm not saying every instance of that is because we disobey God, but I have seen specific instances where that happens and it leads to lament. And so have you. You've seen it in others and you've seen it in yourself. I can remember particularly a, a young man and his uh, newlywed and being a part of their marriage, being a part of, of their life, and he... Five, six years into the marriage, after the birth of two of their children, um, their two children, then he steps out from underneath the, the wings of God and he goes his own way and he rejects uh, God and, and, and it, it is detrimental. He's out of the house. It, it draws his mom and dad into it and eventually it leads to his death. He leaves his mom, his dad, his wife, and his two elementary age daughters grieving. And to lament and weep and cry out to God. That's, that's God's response in this instance to those that reject because God's created creation to flourish. As, as we heard in the children's sermon, it's a common picture in the Bible of God being compared to a mother hen. You see it in Deuteronomy, you see it in Isaiah, you see it in the Psalms a number of times, or in, in Ruth, that like a mother hen gathering her chicks under her wings, it's, it's an interesting um, uh, simile just because it's one of the, the times that you see a feminine metaphor being used for, for God. But, but Jesus laments our rejection because of the loss of that relationship, that intimate relationship of the Creator with His creation. Those made in God's very image. And the loss and destruction of human flourishing that comes when we're separated from our loving Creator. You also see not only in that, that simile, but you also see in, in the first couple words that Jesus says there, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He, there's a couple times uh, in the New Testament where Jesus does that, where he calls out to someone and he uses their name twice. Uh, one time you'll see in Acts chapter 9, uh, where Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, uh, where, where Jesus confronts him. Because Saul was oppressing the church and he confronts them for his conversion. He calls out to him, says, 
Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The other time is in Luke chapter 10, um, uh, the end of chapter 10. Mary and Martha, they're sisters, and they've got Jesus at their house. And Jesus is in the den, you know, and he's teaching everybody that's gathered there. And Mary is there sitting at the feet of Jesus, taking it all in. And Martha, um, the sister, she's in the kitchen, busily preparing things. And she comes in to Jesus and says, Jesus, would you tell my sister to come help me prepare lunch? Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious about many things, but there is one thing necessary. Martha has made uh, one of the good things, the essential thing. And Jesus is correcting her in love, caring for her, saying, that's good, nothing wrong with that, but... This is what's most important. Come sit at my feet. Come gather under my wings. Come be my child. In these, in this passage, particularly, how, how we see Jesus responding uh, to rejection. It's not anger, but pain. It's lament. Because the people who reject God... Get what they want. We've seen this a couple times in this section of Matthew as well. They get what they want. They get separation from God. It's what they want. They want to be out from under God's wings. You see it in this passage particularly here. You should lose a little bit in the translation. But in the second part of this verse where he says, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. The verbs, there are two verbs. I, Jesus saying I, then a verb, but you, the people, and a verb. The verb is the same verb. And it's the verb that means I want. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to come with me and you don't want it. So what you get is what you want. And that's separation from God. Which ultimately can become complete separation. Complete separation of God. And God is love. And so where you are separated totally from God, then there is no love. There is no love that you and I can manufacture on our own. Every place there is love. John tells us that means God is present. He's working. Even in the most evil people. Wherever there might be love in their lives, that's because of the very Spirit of God bringing them that love. And so when we separate from God, ultimately, it leads to ultimate destruction. Because God is not present. And that is where Jesus grieves and what God laments. Do you think about God in that way? I don't. I don't regularly think about God. I think some of what Jesus is getting at when he talks about earlier in Matthew when he says, Blessed are those who weep, for they shall be comforted. I think he's getting at it this way. He's saying, yeah, weep, weep like God weeps. Weep like Jesus weeps. When we see the evil and confusion and chaos in our world right now, going on with the, 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 in, in our country and the, the racial injustice and the protests and the looting and the, the murder, the killing that's going on. 17 year old 
boy, semi-automatic weapon at a protest, shoots three people, kills two. A black man shot in the back seven times in front of his three children. Another protester was killed in Portland last night. Do you look at that and weep? Do you look at that and lament? Say, how do we get here? How is any of this possible? Do you join with the psalmist and say, God, where are you in this? Where is your love, your grace, and your goodness? That may be one of the ways, it is one of the ways that we need to respond to this evil that's before us. To lament. To how in the world did this happen? That's heavy. Well, the passage is heavy. And it only gets heavier. Because I have another question for you. Not only do you think of God in that way, about the evil around us, but do you think about God weeping for you in the ways that you reject Him? Yeah, I know, I've gone from preaching to meddling. But so often we take these passages and we relate to Jesus. And Matthew didn't write write this to us for us to just relate to Jesus. He also wrote it so we'd relate to the Pharisees. And I ask this question not to heap up guilt, that doesn't help really, or to be paralyzed by emotion, but to feed our growth as Jesus followers. That's what what we desire to be. That's what Daryl shared with us at the beginning. We desire to be a community of Jesus followers. Well, unless you're totally there, unless you're right there, perfect, uh, then we, we need to always be reflecting. Jesus, how am I causing you to lament? Where am I pushing out? From under your wings, going my own way. We need to identify those things as the Spirit brings them to our minds. We can relinquish control of those areas. And receive God's forgiveness in Jesus. And continue on the journey of obeying Jesus more and more. Which is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Where might Jesus be weeping? For us. For you. And for me. Where are you not flourishing in Him? Where are you taking on too much or not taking on enough? Where are you harming yourself or harming others? Where are you not walking with God? That ultimately is the essential truth of this passage. That we were created to walk with God, to be called under His wings. And so often our natural tendency is to reject. It's to go our own way. Big ways or even in little ways. And God responds with lament over the destruction that it can cause in a broken relationship with Him, with ourselves, or with others. What is then essential is for us to Constantly be helping and encouraging one another to seek to be obedient followers of Jesus under his wings. Because it's only for our own good. I I can give you testimony right now of my own ways that when I've gone my own way, it's led to destruction. And when I am under Jesus' way, it has led to life.
And here's the really good news. Here's the really good news, friends. And you see it in this passage. Jesus is not deterred by our rejection. He's not stopped by the refusal of Israel to follow him. Because they have rejected him, he does not stop in fulfilling the very mission of the steadfast love of of God. Israel's complete rejection or our partial rejections in any way. God's faithfulness is new every morning, even in spite of us. And in this last part of the passage, when he says, but you, you will see me again, or you will only see me again when I come. Blessed is he. And you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even then, he's giving a glimmer of hope to those that are rejecting him right there. He's saying, you, you, you will see me if you say. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that might be before them at any time. Or at his resurrection, his return. Who knows where that might be. But that that glimmer of hope is still there. Even in their outright rejection that's going to lead to his crucifixion. His death before him. Jesus is still saying them there. Even in the face of of, of rejection like this. He's saying, but you can say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, And what he's doing here, he's quoting Psalm 118. And 118 is this great passage that is a celebration of the steadfast love of the Lord. Uh, over and over again, seven or eight times in that passage, it comes back, but blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it, then, then the response over and over again, like we had in responsive reading today, the steadfast love of the Lord lasts forever. What Jesus is saying, even in the midst of this ultimate rejection, I will fulfill the plan of salvation. I will fulfill my purpose as God in the flesh, as God the Son. I will die for your sins. I will be raised to victory over death and guilt. And I will rule eternally over all of my people. And one day I will come back and gather you all perfectly under my wings. And even now, you can still be one of them. Anyone today who hears this word, even if you have rejected Jesus outright, you can come to him today. Maybe you finally come to the end of your rope. You're tired of running on your own. You're ready for God's leading. You're ready for some option that will bring you life. And I'm here to tell you today that in Jesus Christ we have life and it flourishes and he longs for you to come to him. And for all of us, he longs for us to come. There's always parts of us that we pursue on our own energy and our own wisdom instead of the wisdom of God. This is a call for all of us to confess and receive that the steadfast love endures forever. Even if we've been a Christian all of our lives. Even if you've been a preacher for 27 years. He's always longing for us to come to him. More and more under his guidance in obedience to him. To flourish in him. We all cause Jesus to lament. For God to grieve. I mean, it's only Jesus who doesn't cause God the Father to grieve. Because Jesus is the only one. Who lived a perfect human life. In complete submission and obedience to God the Father. And it's that Jesus who makes us right with God. 
who cleanses us from our disobedience and rejection because he refuses to reject us. He refuses, he refused to reject them then. He refuses to reject us. God laments the brokenness of our world and the ways that we reject him. God laments how we can separate ourselves from him. How I reject him. How you reject him. But God refuses to reject us. His steadfast love lasts forever. That truth alone is our hope. I don't care who wins the election in November. That alone is our hope. And if you base your hope in anything else than that, you're stepping out from under his wings. Now I want us to take a moment of silence here. We'll have some music playing in the background. Just for a minute. It's just a good time to, to listen, to reflect, to talk to God, to explore, to consider. What is God grieving in our world? What is God grieving and lamenting in you? Let's take time to listen, confess, and receive his embrace. For he refuses to reject Almighty God, we do lament. We cry out to you for our world. For our nation, for the killing, the the anger, the inability to disagree without escalating to violence. We cry out to you for the injustice in our society, particularly economic and racial elements. We, We pray, Lord, for your peace. We, we pray uh, for those in positions of, of authority. Particularly we pray for police and the power that you have vested in them. The power even to kill. And that that power would be used in ways that are just and equitable. We lament where it isn't. And Lord, we we lament as as well in this time of of disease and disaster, whether it's explosions in Beirut, whether it's historic storms in Louisiana, historic fires in Northern California, or a pandemic. We, We lament the brokenness of our world and we cry out to you. And we join with you in the grieving 
the destruction. Lord, we pray for your peace, for your goodness, for your healing, for your truth, your love, indeed, to be real in us as your people. We pray particularly for those in our lives in need of your healing touch, for Matt Wilbur, for Diane Baker, Charles Eberhardt. We pray particularly for schools as they're starting up all over from the daycares to elementary, middle, high school, universities, for students, teachers, and staff. Lord, we pray for wisdom for those that make those decisions and for as families make decisions. And we pray, Lord, that you indeed would um, send your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us as a church, that not only would we lament, but that we step out and act in ways of coming along, partnering with folks in our own community, whether it's Pleasant Hill Academy and the upcoming events with them. As a, as a church, as we continue to intentionally be diverse in, in every way and unified in you, Jesus, no matter what our differences might be, we pray your work of unity in our midst so that the world might know we are following you. Above all else, let nothing be more important than you in us individually, in us as a church. We lift all of these things unto you. In the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.